Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Modern Retail Podcast. I'm Kale Guthrie Weissman, the editor in chief of Modern Retail. And this week, I'm really excited. We have Manish Jonija, the CEO of Bark. Um, and I'm someone who has followed Bark and written a little bit about them for, for a few years. And um, I'm really excited to talk just about the overall pet space. Uh, Bark has had a really interesting trajectory over the last few years. And also uh, something I really want to talk about is the fact that Bark um, recently went public. And so I'm always interested in hearing just, you know, what it's like to lead a company through that, th those kinds of, uh, you know, that kind of rigmarole, I guess you'll say. But Manish, thank you so much for joining me. How are you? I'm doing great, Gail. Thanks for having me. Excited to be here. Absolutely. Um, so I always like to start out by asking people, like, tell, tell me your story, sort of. Uh, you have a really interesting background. I was looking at your LinkedIn, as I always try to do before I talk to anyone. And you, uh, you've worked in some of the most major marketplaces around. So why don't you just sort of walk me through it? Yeah, sure. Um, so professionally, I've had about two decades of retail, marketplaces, omni-channel commerce, and global growth experience. Like initially, I focused on you know, connecting offline, online consumers in the United States, and then I went global, uh, working backwards from, let's say, Israel customers or Latin American customers or European customers. And personally, I fell in love with dogs in December 2007 when we adopted our first dog, Kiki. Um, she recently passed away. She was 13 and a half, and she I'm was- so sorry to hear that. Well, thank you. Um, she was an amazing companion, but an amazing teacher as well, who helped me take care of dogs and understand them better uh, throughout the 30 and a half years. So you can say I'm a crazy dog person, and I've been a fan and customer of Bark for a long time. And Bark's love for dog was evident in everything you know Bark does, and I took notice of that. And that shared love of dog is really what attracted me uh, to the company in the first place. And the more I learned about the business and the opportunities for growth, uh, the team that was set up, the more I got excited about to be a part of the journey. And the founders, Matt, Henrik, and Carly, had done a fantastic job of staying true to mission, you know, making all dogs happy, which has been the mission for nine years, and building an incredible team and the foundation that I believe we can take to a whole different level. That's why I'm here. Got it. Wow. So, I, I mean, I wanted to ask you what made you jump from platform, because correct me if I'm wrong, but you were at Amazon before, to brand, but it sounds like it was all dogs. <laughs> yeah. So <laughs> I was at Amazon before. Before that, I was at eBay. Uh, prior to that, I was working um, in consulting and helping different uh, fashion high-tech companies from a consumer commerce perspective. What brought me to Bark is what I shared, like my love for dogs and the fact that if you look in the marketplace right now, you know, there's retailers and marketplaces that are serving our pets. Uh, there are 63 million households that have dogs in the United States right now. And there are only a couple of categories where you call yourself parents, uh, kids and dogs. I have twin boys that are five years old and I had two dogs. Now I have one uh, who was a stray back in Delhi, India that I flew over. And they're unique, right? It's a relationship that you have with dogs. It's an emotional connection that you have with your pets. Uh, the market right now serves you as a transactional commerce. It's more about like when you're buying, you know, sunglasses or your shoes or jeans, it's okay to click a radio button. When you're feeding, are you taking care of your dog's mental ability, agility, uh, and your kids, you want somebody you can talk to, you want that connection, you want a lifelong relationship. You want somebody who can be the co-pilot, who can make your life a little bit easier, because as dogs grow, their needs change, right? So I talked about my dog Kiki when she was 13, I had these eight or nine supplements that I had to open and put in her food. I had this special diet I was trying to figure out. She used to tear apart toys early on and then she became a lick mat um, dog, right? So I had to do all that research. 
And which is not bad. I can do the research, but I wish there was somebody who could know about a 13-year-old lab living in Seattle with certain conditions, how to take care of her, help me take care of her. And that's exactly what Bach excels at. Like we have millions of records. We are data hungry, data crazy, but we're relationship-based. Our customer service team that we call Happy Team, uh, right? We have 250,000 conversations a month. This is not about like shipment being late or I'm not happy. We want to talk to you. The more I talk to you, Kayla, the more I learn about you, your preferences, your dogs, and the more it becomes a flywheel for me to make serve you better. Got it. So uh, just to back up a little bit for, for those who don't know, I'm really fascinated with sort of the trajectory of Bark because, you know, it's been around for a while, but you've really remained true to the one thing that you're interested in, which is dogs. So like, how did how did Bark originally start? And when you joined, I guess it was, was it last year? Is that correct? Like, where, uh, where was it? Like, what was that overall evolution? Yeah, so Bark is a vertically integrated, dog-obsessed global brand, omni-channel brand. Uh, we serve about six and a half million customers over the four categories in the past, fun, food, home, and health. And the genesis of Bark was, Especially one of our co-founders, you know, Matt, um, his dog, Great Dan Hugo, was in New York and uh, he couldn't serve him well. Like there were no toys or treats or anything else to take care of the dog, that big size dog that you think about in New York. And then I was talking to my VP of investor relations, Mike, and he was mentioning he has a dog and now he has to, the frozen food that he uses to feed his dog takes up the entire freezer space, which is like, you know, worth gold in New York. So how to serve them better using that customer anecdote and working backwards so that. So we've been true to that mission of, you know, serving all dogs and making all dogs happy since we, since our first pitch tech and we haven't changed that. And we want to stay in this particular category for now because the opportunity itself is massive. Uh, the dog parents we have, you know, with the recent pandemic shift that happened and the secular shift towards going and getting more dogs into our lives as companions, as partners is not changing. The secular shift towards online commerce is not changing. What's also happening is Gen Z and millennials, now they're used to online shopping. They spend more time with the dogs. They spend more money on the dogs. They understand personalization because each dog is unique. It's not just an old lab. It's basically what's unique to your dog. Your choices actually permeate down to their choices and needs. And that, that combination is what we use to serve them. So we remain true to those missions, that mission statement, and we will remain true to that mission statement. I'm, I'm fascinated with Bark as uh, as a data company, because you mentioned data to begin with, and it seems like that has sort of been how you have expanded over the years. So it, correct me if I'm wrong, but Bark first began with like the subscription box of, of toys, is that correct? And then was it through that that you were then able to figure out where, whether you should go into food or how you should go into food? And just sort of walk me through how, what has been the overall data thesis with that? Yeah. See, the foundation of Bark is built on high-level personalization with high-touch service. Right? So we use the data and then we have our happy team that builds a relationship along with you. And if you go online, you'll see what I'm talking about in terms of interactions and the customer obsession the team has. We have sophisticated machine learning base that we built over the past like almost a decade. And that is data-oriented, like coupled with those service teams make us really, really strong. Um, those conversations, those emails, those messages. So we've created this feedback loop so we can tailor not just toys, but also food, health, and wellness. We've taken the playbook and the DNA and gone into other verticals that we can use to adapt to your dog. And it's not as simple as, you know, I have twin boys. I subscribe to diaper size two when they were like two months old or three months old, right? The e-commerce company kept on sending me diaper size two when they were six months old. It's as if they were not learning about the data. What we do is we have such a massive first party data set and learnings that we can actually think about what your dog would need. 
when your dog becomes three years old, you, around that time, you'll start thinking about dental products. And guess what? The dental products available would either be, you know, mechanical scraping that the dog would not like, or they are ineffective, or all the best trying to brush your dog's teeth. I tried, I failed. Uh, I have scratches on my body to prove that. But you have to take care of them because if you don't, that leads to other health issues. So we make fun a part of that whole element where we created this uh, dental product called Bright, where you put a triple enzymatic toothpaste into a treat and the dog enjoys it and it works, right? So that's how we use the data loop entirely to feed it back. So we started with Play. We created almost a half a billion dollar business in the Play category itself, treats and toys. That's how we learned the entire playbook and we're using those learnings and our relationships to now expand to the entire you know, cohort of fun, food, home and health. Because if you think about it, as your dog grows from puppyhood till the senior stage, those four elements are what you need to keep the dogs happy and healthy. You need their mental engagement. That's a fun element of it. But then again, every dog is unique. So some might like tough toys, some might like soft toys, some are like squeakers, some are like crinkles, right? We go down to that level of data understanding to serve you better. And that's exactly what we are applying to our other product lines. So I want to talk with you about sort of what your your major goals were when you stepped in. But I think an important sort of prehistory to that is what Bark experienced in 2020 as a whole, because there were a lot of different things. I'm sure the business experienced both with more people getting dogs, the the e-commerce acceleration, all that. So can you just walk me through sort of what happened to Bark's business when the pandemic first hit? Yeah, so the uh, first of all, like pandemic threw a wrench into everybody's life. It's really unfortunate what the whole world is going through. At the same time, we all have weathered tough storms. I'm confident we'll get past this as well as establish a new normal. I joined in the middle of the pandemic, uh, which might tell you how much I believe in Bark and the opportunity. Uh, the company went through a number of changes, founder, CEO stepping back, a new CEO coming in from Amazon, going public via SPAC. And I must say, I'm impressed with the maturity of the team we have at Bark, who took everything in their stride while continuing to raise the bar and serving our growing customer base. And pandemic made us, many of us realize the importance of companionship. And we saw that in spades with the spike in pet adoptions. Adoptions were going up as a secular trend, and last year just added more fuel to it. In parallel, like I uh, shared earlier, we saw a shift to e-commerce, and we saw customers valuing the uniquenesses in brand. And what I mean by that is that all of us are unique and want to be treated for who we are. And that's where the differentiation of personalization comes in. And that's where we're true to the mission. Now, history has told us that pets are recession-proof. Um, in good times and you know, bad times, basically, people turn to their pets for emotional support, even putting their pets' needs above their own. Um, while early in pandemic, we saw some cancellations from customers who had been impacted by the pandemic, whether there was job loss, pay cuts, illnesses. And you know, we worked with our customers to do, let's say, alternate months of services or a smaller box so we can actually serve their dogs in a, in a, in a format that they could afford and they wanted to actually use to serve the dogs. A customer service team went above and beyond through extraordinary lens to work with those customers that were impacted and we're super proud of that. Now, flip side, like we've been able to serve so many new customers who adopted dogs during the pandemic. And these dogs are in life for a decade plus. Uh, their new parents were trying to understand how to serve the dog better. Whether you're working from home with the dog next to you, whether you're back in office, how to serve them better. So that's where our learnings proved to be really helpful, but again, working with the happy team to serve you really better. Did you, can you talk to me about sort of as you were dealing with this onslaught of new pet parents, what, like, did you 
change your program at all? What, what did you find people were specifically working for that was different than, say, years past? Or was it just a difference in scale? Yeah, so it, it ties to our overall strategy. Uh, when you think about working backwards from, you know, making all dogs happy, and we started our business in the play category. Um, as we started expanding to retail, we saw consumers, let's say, walk in Target thinking about Bark. So we wanted to serve dog owners regardless of whether they were our customers directly or through our partners like Target, Petco, PetSmart. The other part was uniquenesses in a partnership. Like we recently announced we worked with Netflix, but we have Warner Brothers, NBA, different partnerships. That started resonating with a whole different clientele, and we actually are investing more and more in this. Diversification of our categories, which I've talked about, like Bright, uh, expanding that further, accelerating Eats, because these new dog parents are also you know, used to purchasing online. They're used to personalization to an extent that the industry doesn't serve right now. Eats, for example, um, you know, as a dog parent, I had two options. Either I go and buy a big bag of food from a retailer that says puppy, adult, or senior, or I go and spend $200. And like I said, one of our uh, you know employees here who had this one fridge in New York, you really can't afford to fill that up with frozen dog food. If you're able to serve your dog with the same nutrition, but an affordable rate, that's what Eat does. It actually personalizes the food to you, delivers to you in portion meals. If you're like me, you might end up overfeeding your dog out of love, which creates health issues. Right, so what we do is we work with wellness advisors, nutritionists, to tailor the dog food for you. So that's a feedback we continue getting. And one of the reasons that we've been successful is we listen to our customers. We actually create a flywheel for product development. So if you have a dog, you'll tell us like, hey, the squeaker doesn't work out. Guess what? Once you collect that information, it creates a trend that goes back into a product development and then actually comes back and serves you better in terms of tailoring. We're going to take a quick break and we'll be right back. Let's talk about the partner strategy because I'm always fascinated with, you know, I feel like it's a very, a very popular growth plan now, a scale plan now for digitally native brands to seek out retail partners. And I think that Bark is, you know, a company that's been doing it for a little bit. And I'd want to hear sort of how do you go about choosing your partners and do you view that as more of a brand marketing play or a revenue play? Like I imagine that you would prefer the target customer to go to BarkBox.com, but also they're, you know, they're, they're at Petco, they're in Target. So how, how do you overall view that and how do you choose the, the retailers with which you work? So the, it's again, we work backwards from our mission which is making all dogs happy, right? So we know that they're consumers that might be, let's say, e-commerce transaction consumers before they come online and engage with us on DTC, right to consumer business. We want to serve you. We work with partners that share that mission. So we have Target, Petco, PetSmart. We actually talked about Lowe's. The difference is it's not just simple products that we place on the shelves. We actually design and work backwards from their customer because everybody's customer is unique. Uh, somebody walking Lowe's is different than somebody walking Target. Yes, there's a one overlap, but they're looking for something different. You can buy a $6 toy in Target, essentially, right, if you walk, and then you can come to us. So we try to serve you as a partner through our products in those basically stores right now. That's one part of it. Second is yes, it raises brand awareness, right? It's a it's it's part of the strategy to serve you, raise box brand awareness, get you engaged, and get you back into the ecosystem as well, so we can serve you better. The more data I have for you, the better I can serve you. But we're totally okay if you want to buy a toy or a treat or a different like dental product target, a Petco, they're great partners for us. Second part of it is um, I talked about our licensing deals uh, that we've had with different partners, right? So when you get a box from us, like that's the difference. 
A lot of boxes will give you curated products, right? Where there's a bunch of stuff mixed in. We actually obsess about the themes we develop. We look at themes months out. We work backwards with the partners. So when you open a box, if you're a Philly fan, you'll get a Philly box, right? You can choose that. So there's a different experience that you get because your, your dog will be happy, but we also want to make sure that you actually engage with it and you're happy. So talk to me about those partnerships and how do you seek those out? Are they, do you reach out to them? Do they reach out to you? How do you choose when it's the perfect partnership where both people will be happy and it'll it'll serve the right customers? So it's, it's both ways. We've had situations where we've reached out. We have a really strong team uh, that's looking into that, that's driving that growth. And then we have partners who reach out to us as well in terms of serving dogs. See, Bark being a vertically integrated brand and Artois and products like Bright being very different, that helps you drive traffic. So one of our partners, for example, had us on the end aisle and they saw growth uh, in the entire pet aisle when that happened. When they removed it, they saw the marketing, the, the sales dip a little bit, right? So that basically is a mutually beneficial partnership. So that's what we seek is where we benefit, but you also benefit from us. We recently announced Dunkin' Donuts. So it's not just, you know, you walk in Petco store or, you know, a Target store. You can go have coffee. Uh, you'll see our toys over there. And Dunkin's been an amazing partner. Um, we had our Budweiser partnership where you can buy a six pack of beer and the seventh pack is for your Bud. So we look at these innovative partnerships, which is not just run of the mill, where you just buy a simple product hanging on the aisle. So with a, with a partnership like Budweiser or with Dunkin' Donuts, where you're tr sort of trying to get someone, you're, you're trying to delight someone or surprise them in a certain sense. How do you quantify what is a success and when something works in those cases? So there, from a business aspect, there's margin plays, right? So yeah. you have to look at commerce business and direct-to-consumer business. We have margins plays in that. The way that we look at it is, like, when you think about a cohort in the country that does not have that much awareness of our products, if you build a partnership in that region, it raises awareness. It drives the traffic back to us, right? We are able to serve you better. You know what Bark ecosystem is. Next time you go to a store, you look for our toys. So we've seen that play out really, really well. In, in terms of our licensing partnerships, the feedback we received, for example, the, uh, you know, the, the Philly box was an example I talked about, right, from a football perspective. Uh, that was pretty awesome because we were hearing from customers about, hey, we want to have XYZ experience, like what about this? So we gather that feedback, we go and find those partners and build those boxes to serve you better. Success for us is defining and making sure we can serve you and dogs are happy. Success for us is also the margin aspect of the business that we actually create, commerce, which has grown, which in our quarter results we shared basically was growing pretty rapidly alongside with direct-to-consumer business. Yeah, absolutely. I, I was going through that. It seems like things are going great. Um, can you talk to me a little about how you sort of walk the line with your subscription business with with all of these other sort of programs that you're going? It seems that, you know, your ultimate hope is that people buy Bark, but also that they probably get a subscription. And that way you'll have recurring revenue and your, you know, your cost per customer, whatever will, will go down. How has that shifted as you've done these scale plays, made these national partnerships and done these, you know, other, other uh you know, deals working with different brands and how, how are you thinking about subscriptions now? Subscription is the bread and butter. That's the core of our business, right? So we're fortunate to have subscription model where we can actually forecast really well, right? Our LTV CAC is something that we really focus on, which is how much money you spend to acquire a customer and how much the lifetime value is. And that's been coming about five or six. And when you think about like future growth, more subscriptions coming in, food is a subscription, brighter subscription. Now we're looking at customers coming in and adding more subscriptions to the business line, to, to, the, to the line. So when you look at that multi-subscription and AOE growth, like that's paying off. I think the second part of your question, Akhil, is essentially the conversion of the traffic coming from commerce to direct to consumer. 
I don't have the number to share with you right now. What you're seeing is that when we launch with a partner in a certain zone where we haven't been, uh, that we haven't had that much penetration, we see people come from a zip code analysis perspective. There's, there's not a direct correlation that I can share with you right now. Got it. No worries. Um, I want to talk sort of like zoom out macrocosmically because I feel like this is something I've noticed and I imagine you're going to agree because it helps your business. Um, but maybe, you know, maybe not. I, I feel like we're in a really interesting moment, specifically in the pet industry where uh, it's, you know, you, you mentioned that there are a lot more people who are adopting pets. You know, it's become a much, a, a much more widespread thing. And I also feel like sort of high end or very tailored pet care has become much more mainstream. People are talking about pet wellness now more so than they were five years ago. And so can you just sort of talk about A, why you think that's happening? And B, is that changing your, your sort of product roadmap as things go on now that it seems like the, the, everyday consumer is seems more amenable to buy higher priced goods for their pets? Yeah, so two parts of the question. First is I would say not just higher price, but higher value, right? So as the pet parents cohorts change, uh, Gen Z and millennials coming in where you spend more time with the dog, where you spend more money with the dog, because now you can see that inter reaction, especially for the past one year when you're spending so much time at home, they're part of a family, you get to know how to take care of them and makes personalization like very heavily driven to drive for conversion. So you look for products that your dogs will enjoy, not just buy random stuff that you might find at a pet aisle. And the other part is like the customers are also, personal consumption have turned to personalization. They're actually going online and looking for products that personalize to them. And that's actually translating for them to convert to, let's say, you know, the children or their, their furry kids essentially, right? That's what we're seeing happening. And that's one of the reasons I believe that it's moving into that personalized level of care across different cohorts. And the second part of the question is products. The way we look at it is health, for example, I'll give you an example, as the bright dental product. If you can avoid getting your, you know, getting a dog's teeth bad essentially by taking care of them upfront, if you can avoid obesity by feeding them really tailored, highly personalized product that you can afford, 50 bucks for personalized food like Bark Eats, you can actually avoid going, you know, taking care of the, the problems later on. You can take care of that proactively. That's our approach. So our food is highly personalized. For example, if you have a dog that's overweight, we'll work with you. We'll create a diet that can take care of your dog's health. And when that overweight dog becomes normal range, we'll change the food so it actually serves them and it becomes an athlete, right? So when you can do that level of personalization, with the barrier of entry being the price, but our price becomes 50 bucks, which you can buy essentially a bag of food. We see people going towards that. In the Bark Eats environment, for example, we're seeing new customers come in who were buying $200 products, saying now I can actually store these bags, these are personalized 50 bucks in, in my cabinet, right? We're seeing basically people from mass premium products come in because now you can get personalized products for that. So yes, it informs our product pipeline, but there's more in the future. The way to look at Bark, or another way to look at Bark would be, think of us as a dog tech platform where we have data for you and your dog and fun, food, home and health being the four verticals we're serving right now. That enables us to you know, figure out new verticals that we can put on this dog platform in the future. Because the more data we collect, the more informed we are, the more we can serve you better and the more business streams uh, that can get enabled in the platform. Got it. Makes a lot of sense. Um, I wanted to ask before we run out of time, but you you, you recently went public via SPAC. Can you just walk me through a what like how that that process has been and why you decided to go that route? Yeah. Uh, so see, um, we were always thinking about going public in a future. Uh, it was a matter of time uh, when we were ready. 
We had a number of opportunities available to us um, to go public, and our decision to do so via SPAC over other options was influenced by an immediate connection with Joanna Coles and John Ledecky. Uh, Joanna Coles is an incredibly successful marketing consumer brand executive who sits on the board of Snap and Sonos. And John is a SPAC pioneer with tremendous Wall Street knowledge. So they have between them like tremendous digital, financial, marketing, operation expertise that we believe are highly additive to our business as we continue to grow. SPAC allowed us to raise, um, you know, be a 321, 320 plus million dollars available to us that we investing and accelerating our time frame for investments into, uh, you know, Bark Eats, for example, channel diversification that helps us serve dogs better. And that's how we went public through SPAC. The reason were John and Joanna, and we were ready for going public. Got it. And that leads perfectly to my last question, which and you sort of mentioned this in the, the question before that, which is sort of where are you expanding to or thinking about expanding to in the coming year? And then my number one question, because I'm a cat father, but will you ever expand to cats? <laughs> yeah. So um, in terms of expansion, we're sticking to the four growth categories, um, you know, uh, four growth uh, levers that I mentioned. One is diversification of products, so specifically Eats and Bright. Um, second is continuing to grow the existing play and home themes that we have to serve dogs better. A third is cross-selling. We're barely starting with cross-selling. I think we shared in the last quarter result that we grew our AOV by almost a dollar uh, on a basis of like 29 that we had by cross-selling. And that was primarily like play. Now we're starting to cross-sell Bright and Ease, which has a much larger time and opportunity sizing over there. Fourth is retail and partnerships. Bark Eats is something that I'm personally really excited about because as a dog parent, right, when you have an option of serving premium dog food that's personalized to you and it's toppers plus supplements, uh, you know, plus kibble all mixed together, that serves your dog really well. So no longer you need to open like five packets of supplements to add on your food. It's tailored in individual pouches and that's pretty awesome that you can actually use to take care of a dog. At 50 bucks, ballpark, if I compare like the dollar figures, right? And it depends from dog to dog, but you get that unique service for wellness advisors, that's not a set and forget. So we remain in touch with you. So as a dog parent, like I have my other dog, Begum, that's eight years old, remain con constant touch in how their health is, how can we adapt the food, and we get it delivered like every 14 days. That's like pretty awesome. And the category time is 40 billion. It's been CPG legacy brand, you know, kind of industry right now where you get big bags. So we believe the future is bright in that. And if we've been able to grow the toys business to 500 million, really excited about food. Like those are the four key areas. As for cats, you know, I would say never say never. If you look at the, the <laughs> never uh, say never in the sense that we are true to dogs. We want to make sure we serve the 63 million households that we had primarily injected 2 million play. The opportunity there itself is massive. Like that, that's like tremendous opportunity. We want to get that right first before we think about like global aspect of it and before we think about using that playbook to serve cats. Makes sense. Manish, this has been a great conversation. Thank you so much for joining. No, thank you for having me. I really enjoyed it. And thank you for listening to this episode of the Modern Retail Podcast, a show by Digiday. If you haven't already, please do subscribe and head to Apple Podcasts to leave us a review and a rating. See you next week. Thank you.